Welcome to the Rosedale Bible College Chapel Podcast. We hope you are challenged and inspired by today's message. Enjoy. I had a chapel talk that I gave at um, a couple of high schools in February, and then uh, Phil talked about this, and so I tried to smash that talk into this one and then combine it with some other stuff that I talked to people about. So there is some life story mixed in here, but you might be about to hear a deeply incoherent combination of disparate elements, um, which is, I suppose, my life story in a way, too. (laughs) Um, But before I get there, I just want to say, um, those of you that have taken ECC know that you should be following the news, but this week in particular, it's a good idea to be following the news, especially aquatic news. Um, So, for those that don't know, one of the largest container ships in the entire world is currently run aground on a sandbar in the Suez Canal in Egypt. Roughly 10% of the world's shipping goes through the canal, and so ships have been forced to do the old thing, and they're going around the Cape of Good Hope and maybe getting scurvy along the way, getting... uh, The the pirates of Tripoli are at it again, I don't know. But it's a big deal. It's costing, I think it's $400 million per hour in shipping costs um, because anyway, this ship is, and it's it's going to delay up to 7% of major grain shipments to the United States. So that's one thing. Another thing that I just read about this morning is they just, uh, the police this morning, I think it was this morning, maybe it was yesterday, um, pulled a woman out of a sewer in Florida. She had been stuck in the sewer for three weeks She was swimming in a canal near her boyfriend's house, and in a shallow part of the canal, she saw a doorway, and she's like, oh, I wonder where that goes, and it went to the sewer, and and she got lost, and finally, after about, like, she was reported missing three weeks ago by her boyfriend, and after three weeks, um, she saw this, like, uh, you know, the the little little dimple hole in, uh, in manhole covers, she saw one of those above her and saw that there were people walking over and started just screaming for help, and they fished her out. Anyway, um, the police report included talking to her mom, who, among other things, said she has a history of odd behavior and making bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so aquatic news, deeply relevant. Um, I'm going to talk ostensibly about listening, um, listening to God. This is something that I care about a lot. Um, I care about talking to young people about God's leading and listening to God a lot, and that's kind of why I talked about it at those high schools in February, or maybe it was early March. Wow, actually, you know what? It was early March, right around the time that that woman was swimming. It was like, where does that, where does that door go? I was like doing this chapel talk. What a strange thing, and that ship that's lodged in the canal was just like going about its business, not yet causing $400 million of lost trade per hour. So it's amazing where life leads. Um, When I was a teenager, well, no, before that, before I was a teenager, uh, before I was, um, one of the most famous works in um, recent literary history about hearing from God is Soren Kierkegaard's Fear and Trembling, a work that I have much more confidence talking about because McPhee's not here. Um, he who spent <laughs> two years at the Kierkegaard Library in Minnesota. Um, Fear and Trembling is about the common, mundane, deeply relatable experience of what happens when God tells you to murder your child. Um, yeah, it's about Abraham. I know, right? Uh, did you think it was about a different person? 
<laughs> Did you think it was about Kierkegaard being told to murder? He didn't have any kids. Um, <laughs> the reason that Kierkegaard didn't have any kids is he was, it's actually about the deep anxiety that Abraham felt about um, when uh, being called by God to do something that made no rational or moral sense and about letting his devotion to God transcend all universal principles that could have justified what he was doing. Um, and like, fair enough, that sounds pretty anxiety inducing. Uh, but on the other hand, when I first became aware of this, or at least when I was a teenager, I was like, yeah, but like at least Abraham was hearing from God and he knew it. Like when God appears to you and is like, do something reprehensible, you know, at least you're hearing from God. I thought it was funny when I came up with that, but apparently you were like, no, that's terrible, Hans. Um, the way this relates to me is that when I was a teenager, um, as mentioned, an eccentric nerd growing up in a poor family on the outskirts of Columbus and also in many ways the outskirts of the Mennonite culture I was supposedly a part of, um, I was deeply envious of people that I knew that seemed to constantly be hearing from God. They would show up at a worship service and just be like capsized by waves of, waves of emotion. I believe I've talked about this before. Um, there was a pastor at my church. It wasn't Lonnie, who was a pastor at my church at the time, but there was a pastor at my church who would like break down in tears every single sermon. Um, those of you who have ever heard Daniel Gingrich preach at United Bethel know, and it was, I was like, wow, I, like, I don't break down in tears. I, can t I, could, I could read the Bible for an hour. I could out loud and I wouldn't start crying unless my throat hurt. Um, <laughs> like I just knew all these people that seemed to experience God in really tangible ways and I didn't. And I was like, am I even saved at all? I don't hear from God. I, people throw around words like relationship with God. And that appears to be what's going on when you're just like, burning with these deep waves of emotion. And I had deep waves of emotion about other things, but <laughs> not about God. Um, <laughs> you, might, you might make the argument that my deep waves of emotion were also not about relationships, at least not relationships that existed in the real world in the ways that I wanted them to. But... Um, <laughs> So I, you know, I'd see people, it was even something like just seeing people raise their hands in worship. I was like, I don't ever feel like I should do that. What's going on in their head when they're like, time to raise my hands? Um, and, and I was just like, I would, I was, because I was so afraid of like, do I even have this like relationship with God? I would just be like, come on, like God, make, make me, make me tear up and wave my hands around. Like, kick me around, God. And nothing happened. And then eventually... I realized one day when I was reading scripture and pondering on scripture and thinking about the, the way God works in the world, that if you are trying to be saved, God isn't going to push you away, and that God is not silent. And in fact, God speaks in a number of ways, and one of the most reliable ways God speaks. In fact, you might say the most reliable way God speaks, and here you are at a Bible college, so you presumably agree with this, is through scripture. And I was like, oh, wait, God has been talking to me the entire time. And it turns out there isn't anyone in the world, not even when I was 17 and awash with emotion, um, there wasn't anyone's name that, that would make me tear up. Uh, I could have said anybody's name 15 times in a row without being overwhelmed by emotion. Um, I don't experience relationships most of the time um, in that way. And I thought, oh, God is speaking to me and I have been listening to God 
all this time, and I just wasn't actually aware of it. And I think that was the first and most important thing that I have to say about listening to God. There is one reliable way that you can hear God speak every single day, and that's by spending time with Scripture. Moreover, spending time with Scripture and praying about what you're reading. The Spirit speaks to us as well. It leads us into all truth as we read Scripture. Because, right, like, you may have noticed this. Um, sometimes people read Scripture and, and they don't interpret it well. Um, and what helps us interpret it well, right, is talking is not only praying about it, but talking to other people. God speaks through other people in a reliable way. If you're around people who are dedicating their lives to Jesus, when they speak to you, they're speaking, they are speaking in part, they're supposed to be. It's the design of the church that they are speaking God's truth to you. Um, again, not always super exciting to hear, um, but that was a deeply comforting thing for me. Um, I, have some, I have some verses here about that. Um, obviously, you know, 1 Timothy 3.16 about continuing, you can, however, continuing the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith. Again, I was missing that element of it, that the reading of the scripture leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture, you might know this part, is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. You don't need sweeping waves of emotion. You really just need the Bible. Um, and in fact, the parable, as you might, uh, the parable of Abraham and Lazarus, uh, or rather Lazarus and the rich man, sorry, Abraham's in the verse, but right, Lazarus is the poor man who dies, and the rich man is in hell and asks Abraham to send Lazarus over to cool his tongue, and Abraham says he can't do it. There's a great gulf fixed between them. And then the rich man who just likes asking people for things, I guess, um, is like, hey, can you send Lazarus back to warn my brothers so they don't, don't end up like me? And Abraham says, hey, man, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen even if someone rises from the dead and says it to their face. So I would suggest to you that Unless you're paying attention to what God says in Scripture, you are not going to reliably be hearing from God, even if someone rises from the dead and says it to your face. Um, what you need uh, from, from Scripture is Scripture. Um, so if you're not paying attention to how God speaks, you can't be trusted to pay attention to any way that God is speaking and to interpret it well. Um, and I shouldn't say can't be trusted, but maybe you shouldn't trust yourself. And I think once I hit that realization that God was speaking to me, a funny thing happened. Um, I wasn't so focused on trying to force God to speak to me in a certain kind of way. And so he did. Um, I occasionally did find myself. I found out what happens when God, when you raise your hands in worship. I, I, was, I, I know what that's like now. Um, I experienced emotions related to my faith because I wasn't trying to force my relationship with God to be some kind of thing it wasn't. Um, I knew how I was hearing from God. I knew that I was getting from how I could hear from God as much as I needed to hear. And that more than that, it wasn't necessary for me to do the things God was calling me to. So, toward the end of my first year at Rosedale, I started to get frantic with God again. Um, just a second, it was my first, clarify. Because um, I was like, at the time, I was like, I'm going to go to Rosedale for a year, and then I'm going to go, like, get started on my occupational education, like I'm going to get 
I want to get done with school. I want to start doing things in the world. Um, like, I want to, I don't know. I just want to do right things. Um, but then a bunch of people that I really trusted started talking about maybe coming back to Rosedale for a second year. And I started to get kind of torn and I kind of wanted to come back, but I was looking at the schools that I was applying to and I didn't really love the thought of going to any of them. Um, and I wasn't feeling a ton of peace about any of it. And then I was on the phone with my sister, Lara, one evening. Um, Lara, who is 18 months younger than I am, and I just told two people in the last 24 hours, so I'll tell all of you, the only person with whom I have ever had sincere out-and-out fistfights. I've had fistfights with other people, but we were at least half-joking. Um, <laughs> Lara and I were not. Um, anyway, but she... <laughs> When, we, when I was 13 and she was 12, she was bigger and faster than I am because girls mature two years faster than boys. It's true. I know it from experience of having my younger sister become older than me. Um, anyway, so we were past that stage of our relationship, um, and God was not, being, was not saying things to me. Um, scripture wasn't telling me whether I should come back for a second year of Rosedale. Nothing else was either except people. Um, and I was struggling to come to peace with this. And I was talking to Laura on the phone. And Laura said something that I just said to you earlier. And she was like, um, so maybe if a bunch of people who followed God for a long time are telling you the same thing, that's God speaking to you. And it's not always God speaking to you. You have reason from scripture or from, um, from some other way to think that it isn't, then maybe it's not. But it might be God speaking to you. Don't discount God's voice in the voice of the church. So all else aside, I thought she might be right. And that same evening, it occurred to me that I was evaluating whether I would be better off as a person, whether I would be growing into the person I wanted to become by going somewhere else and doing freshman year all over again, or by coming back to Rosedale and having new responsibilities, experiencing the same thing without the sort of shine of enchantment of my first experiences of adulthood, actually taking responsibility for things. So I decided to come back, and I loved it. Um, it was less fun. I'm, I think that's something that you need to, in some ways, the, you know, it was less enchanting. It was the second time I was doing things. The ways I grew were less fun in general, my second year of Rosedale. Um, yeah, there was one way that was more fun, but the, we are not talking about, um, this is not toxic relationships and how to survive them. You can come to my office and ask me about that later. Um, <laughs> I started, <laughs> I started to relate to the idea of, uh, I didn't, just to be clear, but I started to feel like, yeah, I too am being called by God to do stuff that sucks and is not fun, but I have to find out that it's worthwhile. But it was, and I was really growing. And then during spiritual enrichment meetings in winter term, there was one of these things that classically happens at spiritual enrichment meetings when the like worship time at the end of the service just like boils over and they're like impromptu testimonies and like waves of emotion just sloshing through the room like they're not sloshing through the Suez Canal right now because there's a big ship in the middle of it. And... <laughs> No big ships in this case, so unobstructed waves of emotion. And people are like grabbing microphones and giving testimonies. And throughout this entire process, I like somehow end up in this group of people at the front of the room. And the worship team decided to play a song again. And they were going to play it for like 10 minutes and just go and go and go in the way that worship teams sometimes do. And 
While they're doing this, um, this was coming after a friend of mine had said something about wanting to emulate David, um, who danced until his clothes came off. But he said he was very clear that he didn't want us to dance until our clothes came off. He just wanted us to not worry about our dignities during this time. Um, I just wanted to clarify that for Matt so that no one was like, I too would like to. Anyway, don't. <laughs> one time event. <laughs> um, and so they start playing the song again. And then I couldn't tell you um, whether it was from God or my own thoughts or what, but I suddenly felt powerfully like I should just like get down on the floor face down. And I was like, oh my goodness, no, I am not going to do that. Um, because I think we can agree that um, the feeling, whether from God or from your own thoughts, that you ought to lay face down on the floor during a worship song when you are 19 and single, but like maybe not super contentedly single, and you're, you're at the front of the room and all the, all the other maybe not contentedly single people in the room are behind you and everyone is looking forward and suddenly um, you're like, I should lay down, I should lay face down on the sun. Like it is like, you know, murdering your own child, like here, laying down in front of the room during a worship song. Like you're like, I too will look like an amoral madman if I do this. The words, and I'm sorry to have to say these words in a, uh, in a Rosedale chapel, was that I was like, oh man, um, I am going, like, when I see people do this stuff, I, sometimes, I have a hard time not being like, oh my goodness, what a sanctimonious, well, I'm not going to finish the thought. Uh, I was like, I don't want to be sanctimonious. I don't want to do this. But I did it. And when I did it, you might think that the waves of emotion happened, and I was like, yes! <laughs> like, now I'm Super Mario! <laughs> no weapon formed! <laughs> that was not the case. I lay on the floor deeply embarrassed about my destroyed dignity the entire time. And no one ever mentioned it to me. I was just like purposelessly laying on a floor, and I was like, oh, this is the worst. And it was the worst. And then afterward, I like wandered out into the tree line, and I was like out by myself in the dark, and <laughs> out by myself in the dark where I was, uh, let me see where I am in my notes, um, where I realized for the first time, the first like really clear time in my life, that I am more afraid of things, that, that fear controls me more than anything else, um, including God, unfortunately, and that really I wasn't like... The reasons that, if there were any reasons that I was, if there was anything good, whether it was from God or myself, that came from being, um, from feeling like I needed to lay on the floor during a worship song and look like a sanctimonious, um, it was, it was not about people watching me do it, or if it was, it was about my response to people watching me do it. It was really, really, really like, will you do a thing that you are prompted to do, even if it makes you look stupid in all the ways that you in particular don't want to look stupid? Even if people are rightly standing in the back being like, oh my word, what is happening? I'm going to leave Rosedale immediately. This charismatic revolution stuff is too much. <laughs> Like, can we get a giant tank, get a giant ship in here and put it between me and Hans, right? Um, that, that was not the point. And that was one of the, like, one of the moments that stands out to me in my life 
um, of hearing from God. And I think one of the crucial things about it, um, like there are other moments when I, like in, in retrospect, I was hearing from God, but this was a moment of like hearing something and being like, no, can I just kill a son or something? And I wouldn't now. Yeah, Courtney is deeply disapproving of that. I didn't have kids at the time, and I didn't understand that. Anyway. <laughs> have you ever laid on the floor face down during a worship song? Well, whoever did, you can talk to me about it, and no one else can. <laughs> um, right. When I heard, when I felt like I was being spoken to about by God in that moment, it had nothing to do with what I was going to do with the next year of my life or the rest of my life at all. It had a lot to do with what was making my decisions for me, how I made decisions. And I made decisions based on, and I still do more than I would like to, based on my overwhelming fear of absolutely everything. Um, it turns out I have an anxiety disorder, but beyond that, I didn't know that at the time, but beyond that, I'm just afraid of a lot of things. I'm afraid of what people think. And I haven't, I haven't beaten it still, but at least I know it now. I mean, it was about what I, who I was and how I thought about God and myself and other people. It was not about a job. And I think when we think about God calling us and calling us to specific kinds of vocations, something that comes up sometimes, maybe it hasn't for you, but in my study, um, sometimes people talk about God like leading, putting you in a certain context for a certain time. And that definitely happens, but you know, the, the, the passage of scripture that we always quote for those things, um, Esther 4, 13 to 15, you know, it just says 13 on my sheet, um, where, Mordecai, where Mordecai is talking to Esther and he says, don't imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews, things go badly. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and rescue will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And we're always like, ah, oh, yes, such a time as this. I will, be, I will be the world's greatest welder for a moment when they need a welder to, <laughs> to disassemble the ship that's blocking the Suez Canal. <laughs> Well, it turns out um, most commentators point to the fact that Mordecai doesn't say anything about Esther being called to the kingdom for such a time as this for sure. He's just like, hey, man, who knows? What he does say, he says two things for certain, though. One of them is if Esther doesn't act appropriately, if Esther acts out of fear, not out of courage and compassion, then it's going to go badly for her. And the second, well, that's, that is the second thing. It's, it's going, they, no, that's not the second thing. It's going to go badly for her, right? The important thing is who she is and how she behaves. The second important thing that's said for sure is God is going to do what God is going to do. Esther, in one of the most crucial moments where we might look at this inscription and be like, ah, yes, this person in that moment at that time, they did a thing that was a part of God's plan for his people. And Mordecai within the story is like, by the way, Esther and reader, God didn't need Esther to do this thing. God does not need you. God can use some other means if he needs to. He might, he, I'm sure he wants to use you. But what's important even then is who you are and how you're making decisions, not, not God saying a cert, laying out a certain clear, obvious vocational path for you. He might. But even then, what he cares about is who you are and what you're doing wherever you are. Um. I am out of time to do this, but you should ask me about how choosing a job 
is a little bit like choosing a candy bar at a gas station. I had this like an entire page of notes. Um, but let's say you do have an idea about, well, no, I'm gonna, let's, well, if you do have ideas about the kinds of jobs that you would like to do, right? Um, and you're like, oh no, like God, tell me what I should do. What, what should I do? I, uh, I, I really wanna do this kind of work, but man, I don't know if I should. Well, that's fair, but it's a question of what kinds of things you're thinking about because the way that God has designed you, scripturally speaking, the things that he has made you, the talents and gifts and experiences you have, the passions you have, that is a way that God speaks to you. And I don't know why, but I feel like there has been a lot of things, there's been many things said, there have been many things said, um, in Christendom, especially like I heard more than one sermon as a child and as an adolescent where people would like talk about passions and gifts as though they were automatically idols that needed to be overcome. Like more than one occasion, it was basketball. These guys were like, you know, I was really great at basketball when I was growing up. And despite the fact that I only played one year for a tiny Mennonite school that had like six total players, like I was bound for somewhere. <laughs> and then God was like, give up basketball. And I was like, no, God, I don't want to give up basketball. And God was like, give up basketball. And they're like, now I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. Like, I really love soccer and all sports. Does this mean that at some point in my life, God is going to be like, give up soccer and become a pastor? <laughs> it turns out that my undying love of soccer my soccer being sort of the third thing behind God and my family and my life um, has been incredibly useful to me as, as part of who I am in the kingdom. The impact that I have been able to have on people who are not believers, the connections that I have been able to make because I like soccer more than any other thing about me. I like soccer and it is one of the things that has made me useful to the kingdom. So you might not be, you might, like God doesn't, need you to be in one place at one time to get things done necessarily. If he does, he'll make that clear to you. But also the things that you're good at, the things that you like, those are the talents that you have. Those are the things you should not be burying. And sometimes God will use them in ways that you don't love, right? Like, so I love soccer. It's an important part of who I am as a member of the kingdom. Um, but that mainly has looked like I watch a lot of soccer and I organize a pickup soccer game that happens most of the time out here on Thursday evenings. So I've been playing Thursday night soccer for 20 years. And I have been a big fan of the Columbus Crew for about 20 years. And in both of those cases, I've had lots of opportunities to connect with people and to do community building kinds of things. What I have not done is ever play soccer at an extremely high level or ever really impress anyone with anything about how I engage with the game of soccer. Nevertheless, it has been worthwhile. I was not ever going anywhere. Uh, I was fine. I was a fine soccer player. I'm still a, I'm still a you know, run-of-the-mill, decent soccer player. Um, but it, you don't have to achieve greatness to use your talents and to let them grow as part of how you engage with the kingdom. And I am, I think I'm out of time, but I have one last thing I'm just going just gonna to say, because they're, they're never going to let me speak in chapel again, but I don't care because I'm never going to speak in chapel again anyway, probably. Um, <laughs> defiance! <laughs> now I am Super Mario. Put a ship in front of me and I will push it out of the way. <laughs> Toss me in a sewer and I'll come right out. Um, anyway. 
the Mario connection. The closest thing that I have ever discovered to an actual parallel between my life and the story of Abraham in fear and trembling and in, and in Genesis um, is this. When I, when, I, when I started the job at Rosedale, that sounds bad. Um, I, like, I like my job. But when I started my job, I didn't really understand what God, why God was kind of, why I felt like God was calling me here. Um, and I thought, oh, like, I'm going to come to Rosedale. They're struggling with enrollment. I will rebuild the enrollment system from the ground. We're going to get so many students. It's going to be so great. Like, I, like that's right. I, like, I studied strategic communication at Rosedale, and I also studied philosophy so I can, like, help teach classes even. And this is a way that, like, I can do something significant. I can repair Rosedale's enrollment, and we will be amazing, and it will be, like, this thing that I'm doing for the kingdom. It'll be awesome. And Rosedale's enrollment has budged just ever so slightly in the five years that I've been here. Um, I have overseen as this enrollment, the director of enrollment services, the single worst year of enrollment in the history of Rosedale Bible College. Um, <laughs> thank you, Matt. <laughs> and um, it is not, I, uh, Erica knows this already, so it's not anything too terrible to say, it is in many ways not an easy job. It is a lot to do and there are often um, trifling returns. People will ask you constantly how numbers are looking for this year, and it turns out that most people don't understand what goes into a job like this at all. Um, and they think that if you were to install them with their two years of experience of building cabinets as enrollment services director at Rosedale Bible College, they would have things whipped into shape in no time. Um, and people say this, and because you're a representative of the college, you can't just turn around and be like, you know nothing. <laughs> Go climb in a sewer, find an open doorway, and see where it leads. <laughs> you can't do that. Um, and so there were definitely times when I was like, okay, like I feel like I'm wasting my time. I can't tell what's worse, what the job is doing to me, or what I'm doing to Rosedale by doing the job. For real. I'm being absolutely honest with you. I've, felt, I've thought that on more than one occasion. Um, because nothing has substantially changed. Um, at least that, it's easy for me to feel that way. No, oh, look, I'm going to tear up during a sermon. <laughs> Full circle. Um, and when I was thinking about that, the thing that I've come back to, I've realized why I hate it when dudes write books with names like Radical. I don't even remember who wrote that book, but you can tell him from me he should name it something different. Because here is the thing. The single most significant, adventurous, risky no holds barred thing you can do with your life is follow God where he calls you to, even if it means that you have no external validation for it whatsoever, that no one will look at you in worldly terms and say, my goodness, didn't that enrollment services department turn around? And no one will look at you in Christian terms and be like, ah, no one knows the scriptures like Hans. No one has lived as holy a life right? Your life will be not that holy from an outside perspective. Your life will be not that impressive from a worldly perspective. Your life will be signified, will not look remarkable to anyone from the outside. But if that is what God calls you to, that is the single most risky thing that you can do because that's the one thing that we all have and that we can all lose. That's the most significant thing for so many of us, right? Risking your life is nothing. We all die. It's a matter of risking your time and the meaningfulness of what you do with your time. 
And if you are willing to do something that will not look meaningful to you, to anyone else, uh, wow, this is, this is the most remarkable experience of my life. I cry at weddings and funerals and nowhere, nowhere else, so drink it in. Um, <laughs> that, to me, is the riskiest thing that I have ever done. And if there's one thing that I want to tell you about hearing from God, it's that that is what matters, hearing from God. Not being validated for hearing from God. Not even feeling validated yourself. Um, well, this, I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> I didn't plan this, if, if you were wondering. <laughs> so, in closing, a little bit over time, um, I am going to read a verse that I think um, comes from Scripture, so you know that you're hearing from God when you hear it, and I'm telling you that it's important, so you're hearing it from someone else who follows Jesus. Um, somebody read this to me a long time ago, someone with whom I disagree about almost everything except maybe the importance of this verse. So no matter how much you disagree with what I've just said, hopefully this verse means something to you. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, mortal one, so you are going to die, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And that is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to pray now, and then when I'm done praying, you're dismissed, and you can immediately find more details about what happens when you walk into doorways in canals or um, sail a giant boat through the Suez Canal. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for um, the people in this room, the students, the staff, and the faculty. Thank you for the journey that you have all of us on. Thank you for the ways, tangibly, intangibly, through sweeping emotion, through cold reading of words on a page, that you speak to all of us. Thank you for the ways that you lead us. Thank you for the things that you value. I pray that um, today, and as we go from here, that you would speak to all of us in ways that we can understand, and that you would tune our ears and our hearts to listen to you. I pray that even if it means looking sanctimonious, that you would make yourself plain to all of us. Um, stretch us in the ways that we need to be stretched. Change us in the ways that we need to be changed. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please like and share so others can benefit from it as well. And check out our other podcast series from our website at rosedale.edu slash podcasts. God bless you and have a good day.